Welcome to Onco Farm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I am a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Onco Farm, uh, East Tennessee State University's Bill Gadden College of Pharmacy. It is a balmy, almost 70 degree day here uh, in late February 2022. Uh, I'm going to do a Foundations of Onco Farm episode on uh, on a drug that uh, if you are a uh, an oncology pharmacist working in uh, you know, a medical oncology clinic, a drug that you might not see a whole lot and is one of, if not the first form of immunotherapy. And of course, I'm talking about BCG, the Bacillus uh, calmet guerin um, tuberculosis uh, vaccine. Um, and I was um, lecturing in class recently, and I have um, uh, 15 minutes to talk about uh, all the solid tumors uh, except for colon, breast, lung, and prostate would have their own dedicated time. Uh, and so it's kind of the high notes. And as uh, I'm, I'm lecturing about bladder cancer, suddenly a question comes to my mind that uh, I am uh, ashamed to admit I've never asked myself, which is who thought of or why did they think they could take this tuberculosis vaccine and put it in a bladder and use it to treat bladder cancer? I'm sure there's a great story behind that. And that is the, the most of what we'll talk about here today uh, with our, our, our landmarks, I'm oh, sorry, not landmarks, our Foundations of Oncofarm episode. So if you're relatively new to the podcast, you know, if you go back a couple years and you can even find a, a playlist uh, pinned uh, at uh, my uh, my uh, Twitter account at PharmDeepNib, you can find the playlist on Spotify of kind of the foundational drugs, right? So cisplatin episode, doxorubes an episode, etc. So this is in that same line, and usually what we start with with those are the history of that before we get into the uses, toxicities, clinical pearls, things like that. Well, the only real use for the BCG uh, and cancer is is uh, bladder cancer. So that won't take long. So we'll spend some more time on the history because it's pretty darn fascinating. So uh, this whole story starts in 1908 with a French bacteriologist named uh, Albert Camet and uh, Camille Guérin. And I'm sorry if you're French and I'm mispronouncing those. Anyway, uh, so a bacteriologist, Calmet, and a veterinarian, uh, Guérin, were working, guess where? Guess where? They work at the Pasteur Institute uh, in France. Uh, and uh, they had a, a lifelong qu- a reading here, by the way, from uh, a wonderful uh, kind of three-page article published in the Journal of Oncology in 2008 uh, called History of Bacillus Calmet Guérin and Bladder Cancer, uh, written by uh, Harry Herr and, uh, or Harry Har, H-E-R, and uh, Avero Morales, um, which uh, Morales will come back into our story. So anyway, 1908, these two French researchers, a bacteriologist and a veterinarian, they want to create a vaccine to tuberculosis, Mycobacterium tuberculosis, because it's it's devastating, right? Um, so they they isolated a strain of Mycobacterium bovis, which is similar to uh, Mycobacterium tuberculosis. So uh, this is a form of Mycobacterium that affects cows, and they got this from the udder of an infected cow, uh, and it was it would always clump in culture, I guess. So um, they. Uh, they took it and they mixed it up in a culture of cow bile, potatoes, and glycerin. This is in the literature here. This is, they write this. Uh, and then over time, it started to use its, its virulence. Uh, so that was originally in 1908 that they, they got this virus from the udder of a cow, uh, I guess, outside the Pasteur Institute in France. Uh, and by 1915, they had given this to a couple cows and shown that maybe it could protect cows from tuberculosis. In 1921, so now more than a decade later, um, they have... Um, you know, basically kept this same culture alive in, in the lab, and they got to move it, uh, you know, from 
I don't know, vial to vial or auger plate to auger plate. And there's some natural antigenic drift they talk about, and it, it changes here. Um, and uh, 1921, first time they gave the vaccine to a baby uh, whose mother had died from TB and whose grandmother was dying of TB. And the baby didn't have any side effects and didn't get TB. Kind of the first sign of efficacy of this thing as a, BC, a BCG, as a tuberculosis vaccine. So then in the early 20s in Paris, 200 plus kids were given this BCG. Um, and were, quote, successfully immunized against TB. Uh, and these results were then published in 1924. So then the Pasteur Institute goes on and mass produces the vaccine. Uh, and really when I say mass produce the vaccine, they're really mass growing uh, this, this BCG, which is a strain, a weakened strain of Mycobacterium uh, bovis. Uh, and they notice that it has become weakened over all the, um, uh, all the uh, passages what they call it, they have kept the bacteria alive over and over and over again. Uh, now, they could not actually freeze the vaccine into a lipolyzed powder until 1960. So until that time, you had uh, different BCG places all over the country or all over the world that would maintain their own supply of this bacterium. So if you look up the package insert for BCG in America, it's, it's from Tice, which was in Chicago. There is a, a, a Connaught in Toronto, the Pasteur in, pa in, in, uh, in Paris. So uh, Glaxo Evans in the UK had their own BCG facilities to make this. Okay, so that's kind of the history of, of how we, we got this uh, as a tuberculosis vaccine. Uh, and, and a quick story, as a, a student at Purdue University uh, Pharmacy School, I did a rotation at the Purdue University Student Health Center. And one of the things that had to happen, we had a large international student population at Purdue. And one of the things for certain people, it, uh, I don't remember the details, but they had to get uh, a PPD, a tuberculosis, a tuberculin skin test. And because so many of these folks uh, had been vaccinated with BCG, they were BCG, they were tuberculin positive. So BCG can cause uh, tuberculin positivity. Uh, and the reason I bring this up, the reason I learned this is I was one morning shadowing a radiologist who worked like one morning a week and he came in and looked at all the chest x-rays for the week. <laughs> but everyone who had a positive PPD had to have a chest x-ray. Uh, all right, so fast forward. So that's BCG for tuberculosis, but how do we get to BCG uh, for cancer? So in 1929, uh, somebody named Pearl was doing an autopsy study at Johns Hopkins Hospital uh, in, in Baltimore and reported there was a lower frequency of cancer in patients with tuberculosis. And this was also then shown to be true at age match control, suggesting that somehow, you know, tuberculosis had some kind of anti-cancer uh, uh, property. So uh, this really got people really interested in BCG as maybe uh, something to, to treat, prevent cancer. However, the year after this was published in 1929, in 1930, there was something that I spent way too much time reading about this afternoon called the Lubeck disaster. And there was a lab error in Germany, where some of the, the indolent, the non-virulent BCG was contaminated with mycobacterium tuberculosis, like the thing that causes TB, the bacterium that causes TB. Uh, and um, 70, uh, 70 babies, 70 kids died of tuberculosis. And this is kind of haunting. This article I'm reading was uh, published in 2008. Uh, the accident was heavily politicized. It exaggerated the dangers associated with BCG, and it dampened enthusiasm for BCG as a cancer therapy for the next 30 years. Kind of made me shudder uh, to read that. Now, if you go back to uh, before even 1908, when uh, Calmet and Guerin were uh, were taking that, that mycobacterium bovis from the cow udder, 
Uh, patients had been found to have cancer aggression, had, were co-infected with bacterial infections. Um, and then uh, now let's fast forward. So there's been some, you know, some off and on uh, research or noting of maybe some link between bacterial infection and, and some cancer uh, uh, positive effects. Um, but anyway, the possible use of BCG. So when it first is being used uh, in cancer, uh, this started at Sloan Kettering by somebody named Lloyd Old. Lloyd Old Sloan Kettering uh, was doing some research in mice and, and basically found that um, if you injected BCG into mice with tumors, the tumors went away. And further, they discovered that this was not the drug by itself, it was indirect. And it was basically a delayed hypersensitivity reaction to BCG that led to this. In fact, Old, this guy, who's Lloyd Old, he discovered tumor necrosis factor, uh, which subsequently in 1985, uh, Reachers realized that this substance, cachectin, that they had found in people who are cachectic, was the same thing as tumor necrosis factor. What cool stuff you can learn reading this, these sort of things. All right, so in 1950s, we know BCG injecting the tumors in lab animals can, can cause cancers to, to, to grow back. Uh, so in the 1970s, somebody named Burton Zabar uh, did a, a study of the NCI, uh, also uh, you know doing more injections of BCG into animals, showing similar responses. And he was the one that kind of figured out the delayed hypersensitivity reaction. Uh, and then the first use of BCG in cancer therapy begins in 1969. So it started at 1908 with sampling of a cow udder in France. And now we're at 1969 uh, in France, and um, you know uh, somebody named uh, Math Mathe, M A T H E. Uh, is reporting BCG as an adjuvant for ALL in the U.S. Uh, somebody named Morton the next year sees regression of malignant melanoma um, treated with intralesional BCG. And then in 1975, uh, somebody reports that isolated melanoma in the bladder was successfully treated with cytoscopic or intravesicular injection of BCG vaccine. All right, so this uh, leads us uh, to leads researchers uh, on some wild goose chases trying BCG and lots of other cancers that did not work out. However, uh, Avaro Morales, who was the co-author on this History of BCG article, um, uh, quote, had the foresight <laughs> to try topical BCG in the bladder, uh, and in 1976 published the first use of intravesicular BCG uh, for superficial bladder cancer. So when we say superficial bladder cancer, we mean non muscle invasive bladder cancer. I like to use the analogy of a basketball. So if you think of a basketball, the inside of the basketball, uh, if you had a tumor growing on the inside of the basketball, that's superficial, non-muscle invasive. Once that tumor started to grow through the leather on the outside of the basketball, then it's no longer superficial. We would call that muscle invasive. And this is still the main role of BCG is for treatment of superficial or non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, either to treat it uh, and to prevent its recurrence uh, after uh, surgical resections, transurethral resection. Okay, so um, it, it was in 76 Morales first published this, but this goes back to 1972. And the, uh, uh, in Montreal, Frap uh, Frappier was the company that maintained the BCG, and they, they manufactured, or they delivered the BCG in six vials. Uh, so that was the original thing, was six weekly treatments were given because it was in six separate vials. That just seemed convenient. Uh, to this day, that is the most commonly used adjuvant or induction regimen of BCG is six weekly doses. And those weekly doses would start, you know, maybe a month after the transurethral resection of the bladder tumor because you need time for the bladder to heal. But the six weekly doses goes back 
to this company in Montreal who made the BCG in six vials just because that was convenient. Kind of like our rituximab dose that we got was because that was the convenient thing for the drug company to do their phase two study, the 375 milligram per meter squared. Go back and listen to the rituximab uh, uh, foundations of Oncopharm episode if that is uh, new to you. So anyway, uh, you know, this this is, um, uh, you know, really interesting stuff. So they use 50 milligrams and 120 mils is what they did. Today we use 50 milligrams in 50 mils instilled into the bladder. So the same dose is still used uh, from, the, from the 1970s. Uh, 10 patients were enrolled in the first study. Now these 10 patients had frequent tumor recurrences, um, even despite uh, like ablation techniques or even intravascular thiotepa, my goodness, uh, and, the, and the tumors came back. And this is kind of what you see with uh, superficial or non-muscle invasive bladder cancer is you can go in through the urethra, you through the urethra and remove it, and it often comes back, kind of like a wart, like you pick out a wart and the wart comes back, sort of a thing. Uh, so they they enrolled ten patients initially, kind of like a classic phase two uh, design. Um, ten patients, uh, one died of unrelated causes, two they didn't have available for follow up. So of the seven patients that could fo- have follow up, um, you know, on the biopsies uh, of. Uh, uh, what they removed, there was a whole bunch of granulobus uh, reaction, uh, multinucleated giant cells, mononuclear cells, histiocytes, all sorts of um, you know signs of immune activity and necrosis, and no tumor was found in these seven cases. Uh, so based on those results, published in 1978, I think, uh, then the NCI, National Cancer Institute, funds two studies, one with SWOG, one with uh, Morris Sloan Kettering, uh, that go on to, to compare this to intervesicular mitomycin. This leads to the, uh, the approval of BCG in 1990 for, uh, for non-muscle invasive bladder cancer, which is still uh, its approval today. Um, so kind of an, I think a really interesting story um, and uh, really the first, uh, you know, the first successful use of, of immunotherapy. Uh, and it, it goes back more than a decade to uh, a bacteriologist and a veterinarian in, in France in 1908. Um, a, a couple, um, you know, more things moving on to, I guess, the useful information to know about, about BCG. Uh, so it is a, a live attenuated vaccine. So you don't give it to people who are, uh, you know, obviously immunocompromised. Uh, because it is a live attenuated vaccine, the package insert for BCG recommends it not to be made in the same area uh, that you make parenteral drugs. So you don't make it where you're making the chemo. It should be made in a separate area per the PI, also under uh, aseptic technique. Um, patients should void, obviously, before you then instill, uh, you know, 50 mils of, 50 milligrams of BCG in the bladder. Uh, and ideally, you want them to, to hold that in there for two hours. Um, uh, and some people recommend that you should um, kind of move your body every 15 minutes, so lie on your back for 15 minutes, lie on your right side 15 minutes later, and move around because if you think of the bladder as a basketball, and uh, you, you put some BCG in there, it's only gonna be uh, where gravity takes it. So you have to move around to try and coat the whole bladder uh, with, uh, with the BCG. Uh, ideally, don't give it to people taking antibiotics for UTIs, especially like isoniazid, which you wouldn't use for a UTI, but you know, drug, it is a bacteria. Uh, so we don't wanna use uh, um, antibiotics. Uh, it is very, very common for patients to have uh, dysuria or even flu-like symptoms for, uh, for a few days afterwards. However, if they have a high-grade fever above like 101.3 degrees Fahrenheit, 
which is 38.5 centigrade for those of you not in the US. For more than three days, there is a BCG reaction that can happen that, that suggests maybe there is a, a systemic infection from, from the BCG. Uh, typically, you would not want to give BCG um, uh, for people who have a really extensive uh, you know, if they have tons and tons of, of superficial bladder tumors and you're doing a lot of damage to the bladder, uh, when you're doing those resections, you want to wait for full, full healing to do that. Uh, and usually that's three to four weeks after, uh, you, you know, you're terped the transurethral resection of bladder to give the, the BCG. Uh, and then, you know, the, the classic schedule is you give it weekly for six weeks. Uh, after you've had the uh, the uh, original superficial removal of the tumor, and then an adjuvant, and then a maintenance phase. Sorry, after that adjuvant phase, which is something like, you know, every month you get it for, or every three months you get three doses, um, up for a year for you know your maybe your low risk patients, and three years for higher risk patients. And we don't know the optimal schedule. Uh, some of it it's just based on the way we always done it, uh, and the way that the the company in Montreal first packaged the BCG. So so that is BCG. Uh, really. Um, a very fascinating drug and, and one that, um, you know, like our clinic, we don't do a lot of BCG because the, the urologists in the area do the BCG. So we don't see these folks until after they have failed um, on BCG or they, they become muscle invasive bladder cancer folks. So uh, that is BCG, uh, Bacillus calmet guerin uh, tuberculosis vaccine, not for tuberculosis anymore, uh, but for non-muscle invasive bladder cancer. And if I, this is why I'm called, that's just so cool. That's just so neat to me and so fascinating. Well, thank you for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeatNip and follow the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncoFarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Mm-hmm.